welcome back to Paul Dark Podcast and Happy New Year! Sorry we've been gone so long. Flu season struck is down hard, but we are back and we are here to kick 2017's butt, so let's do this. This new year brings a new direction for the podcasts. We're going to be starting a season one rewatch. For the next Yay. eight weeks, <laughs> for the next eight weeks, we will be discussing and analyzing the episodes that made us fall all fall in love with the Poldark world. Uh, we will also be starting our Poldark book club. So Yay. <laughs> it's all happening on the podcast, despite the hiatus in the show. My name is Michelle. I live in the States. <laughs> Pray for us. Uh, you can you can find me on Tumblr at Poldark Muses. That's Poldark M M M U S I N G S, and on Twitter at Musings M M M U S I N G S. My name is Delenda. I live in France. I blog at Britishly So on Tumblr, and I tweet at Delenda Dia. And my name is Rita. I live in the UK. I blog at Princess of Poldark on Tumblr, and I tweet. At Rita Bites. So we have our episode one summary, and it's a long one, so buckle your seatbelts. All right, so we begin in 1781, Virginia. Ross Poldark and the world's smallest regiment are chillaxing out in a forest. They're drinking and gambling and generally doing no soldiering. And through some clunky exposition, the audience learns that Ross enlisted to avoid the gallows. He's not like a regular mom. He's like a cool mom. <laughs> and he is totally on the American side. Because revolution is the best. You doubt the justice of our cause, sir? And what cause would that be, sir? Liberty or tyranny? <laughs> well, until his mates all start getting slaughtered in an ambush. Then he is less cool about it. In all the fighting, he gets hit in the head and passes out and has crazy hallucinations to a version of Elizabeth that literally could never have existed. They're running around on cliff tops, barefoot, as the sun sets, and he takes her pinky ring as a memento. Really? Two years later, Ross is sleeping in a coach in Cornwall when he overhears the other passengers gossiping about how his father is dead, which is a fun way to find out. Ross quickly recovers from the devastation and decides he will seek a homecoming at Trenwith, where his uncle Charles is in residence. When Ross arrives, he finds a dining room filled with guests, because Uncle Charles is hosting a dinner party, and everyone is delighted to see him, because they legit thought he was dead. So it's rather a surprise and also rather awkward when he realizes that the dinner party is for Francis and Elizabeth's betrothal. My boy is to be married. But that's tremendous. Who is it to be? Elizabeth. Awkward. Anyway, the party takes a swift turn for the depressing when Ross changes the subject and asks about his father. Charles tells him he went quickly and that his estate is in tatters and Ross's evening is officially in the crapper. Ross rides back to Nampara, which is a complete wreck. We're talking chickens in the parlor, there's mud all over the place, I think there's even a goat that's wandering around the kitchen. Yeah, just a casual um, goat. Yeah, you know, just yeah, as they do. 
Um, and uh, in his father's bed, he finds Prudy and Judd. On your feet, now. Judas, is it Mr. Ross? Back from the grave. He, <laughs> he is pissed, y'all. I mean, really pissed. Uh, as his father's servants, it was their responsibility to look after the estate in his absence. But instead, they chose to spread rumors about his death and drink away all of the good brandy. Ross sets them to work while he rides across clifftops and broods. Get used to that, yo. <laughs> Over at Trenwith, Francis, Verity, and Aunt Agatha are talking about how fine Ross looks. Unironically, Aunt Agatha lets slip that Charles has decided to push up the wedding and Francis looks adorably excited. Elsewhere, Ross runs into Zaki, Jim, Mark and some faceless extras who all greet him like he is the second coming. They were his father's tenants and he promises to repair their cottages despite the fact that he has barren land and a ruined home, ruined home and no source of income whatsoever. Everyone keeps asking about the war, so let's go with the shorthand. Ross, what did that me there? I grew up. He's pretty brusque. Elsewhere, Elizabeth is doing what Elizabeth does, waiting. A servant comes to tell her that a Mr. Poldark is there to see her. And she looks crestfallen to see that the Mr. Poldark is Francis and not Ross. Meanwhile... Ross rides into town to see Pasco, his banker, who once again reinforces the fact that Ross is broke. He is now the proud owner of Nampara, two derelict mines, and a few decaying cottages. And because his land is worthless, he is unable to make a loan. Ross Poldark is alive. News of Ross's return reaches George, who is weighing up gold on an old tiny scale the equivalent of puppy-killing for pyrodramas. He is a money-grubbing miser. But when discussing Ross with his uncle, George admits to admiring Ross for saying and doing as he pleased and being popular to boot. George plans on befriending him. He needs money and they need his ancient family name and connections, blah, blah, blah. Elizabeth wants to, wants to run off to see Ross. But her mother quite correctly points out that she is engaged to Francis and there is nothing she can do about it now. Francis adores you. You will be mistress of Trenwith. Had Ross not returned, would you have the slightest hesitation? He has returned. If he still cared for you, would he not have been at the door by now? Mic drop. Uh, I'm going to have something to say about this later, y'all. Uh, but we'll get back to that. Uh, Verity goes to visit Ross. They, of course, discuss Elizabeth and how she seems to be smitten with Francis. Ross, rather passive-aggressively, wonders if her infatuation with Francis has anything to do with his estate and fortune. Either way, he has no claims on her, he tells uh, Verity this, and has decided to just let things take their course. Next, we have a montage of Ross doing manly man stuff. You know, farm chores and brooding, drinking alone. <laughs> Francis calls in on Elizabeth, where he makes an impassioned speech. 
He offers to let her out of their engagement, given how awkward the circumstances are. But he promises if she chooses him, he will love her. And she decides to stick with the adorable puppy in front of her. So squishy. On the way back, Francis rides past Ross, who is collecting rocks outside Will Leisure. They discuss how much of a crap hole it is, and Ross expresses an interest in examining it. Because, you know, Ross likes to do dangerous and dumb things. <laughs> he and Francis climb down the dark shaft and group around or grope around in the dark. Uh, this is the worst possible place to seek to have a heart-to-heart, -heart, so obviously Francis decided to broach the subject of his wedding. Why hasn't Ross RSVP'd yet? We really want him to be there. Blah, blah, blah. Ross tries to blow it off, but Francis is insistent that he attend, and he tries to explain to him how he and Elizabeth happened. Um, Ross winds up being rather dumb and overdramatic, screams at Francis, and shoves him in some water. Which would be fine, except Francis can't swim, so he ends up scrambling and begging Ross for help. Ross hesitates, before eventually realizing murdering his cousin over a chick is dumb, and drags him out of the water. A week later, and it's Elizabeth and Francis's wedding day. Ross decides to attend the wedding, and he looks furious as hell during dumb flashbacks with Elizabeth, with sad violin music playing in the background. The wedding breakfast is attended by literally everyone, including everyone's favourite Slytherin, George Willoggin. He approaches Ross and tries to start off a fairly friendly conversation, which is so weird to watch. George offers to be a friend he can rely on, but Ross dismisses him and then follows it up with making a dig about his rude uncle. Well, the man was making all kinds of tasteless, craptastic comments about the Poldark family's not-so-pleasant financial circumstances at the wedding, so Carrie really had it coming. <laughs> Anyhow, it is basically just a slow-mo car crash where they turn on each other until they are interrupted. The interruption is Elizabeth. She wants to speak with Ross and a chance to explain her decision. You mustn't blame my mother. This was my decision. And we must abide by it. And we shall be neighbors and friends. If you say so. Oh my god, will you two stop already? This helps literally nobody. Later, Aunt Agatha does her thing with the tarot cards and makes an ominous prediction about dark poldarks and fair poldarks and other such nonsense. Basically, batshit is about to happen, okay? Good, we got it. Got it. So it's an indiscriminate amount of time later, because that's how timelines work in Poldark, when Charles rides over to Nampara for a visit. We use the word visit in the loosest term here because it's basically a thinly disguised pressuring for Ross to leave Cornwall. And he makes some good points. There is nothing keeping him there except rotting land, and Charles is even willing to pay for him to set up shop in London. Ross does some more brooding on the subject. Although he does say he's going to do whatever he can to, to stay there, but more on that later. Finally, it's market day. What a great opportunity to sell your father's pocket watch, buy some oxen, and meet your future wife. It's at the market that Ross wanders across a crowd watching a dogfight. 
Some random asshole has stolen Garrick and pitted him in a, the fight. Demelza storms on in furiously, trying to defend her dog. And when she is thrown about by the crowd, Ross intervenes. Have they hurt you, child? You didn't child me, mister. He takes her inside the Red Lion and feeds her. She is obviously starving and chokes down her food. She has tattered clothes on and bruises and cuts all over her back. He learns that she is Tom Carn's daughter and that he beats the crap out of her most days. Do you love your father? Bible says I must. He offers to take her home to a luggage, but when they reach the crossroads, yeah, real, real subtle, Debbie, uh, Ross makes an impulsive decision and offers her a job as his kitchen maid. She obviously accepts, but on the condition that Garrett goes with her. Oh, yes. When they arrive back at Nampara, Judd and Pretty are pissed, like really pissed. They can barely afford to eat as it is, but Ross insists that they keep her. While Ross was away at the market, he had received a whole bunch of money, well, let's say it, a bribe, from Charles as an incentive to leave Cornwall. Obviously, this is a big decision, so naturally he decides to drink and brood about it, as one should. <laughs> this is interrupted briefly by Demelza, who begs for her dog Garrick to be allowed in the house, but Ross tells her that until she can prove he is lice-free, he is an outdoor dog. Naturally, the very next scene is Demelza completely ignoring that and sneaking him in the house at night. She snuggles up next to him, next to the hearth, which is adorable. So cute. The next morning, Demelza plays with Garrick while Ross rides over to Trenwith. He wants to return the bribe money, but instead he gets into another overwrought emotional scene with Elizabeth. He tries to get her to give up her life with Francis or some such nonsense, and when she refuses, he storms out angrily. And I, I just, I can't with them. I can't. Let's see. Back at Nampara, Demelza's father has arrived with his brothers. They're pissed that Ross stole, quote unquote, Demelza away and threatened to fight Ross for her. And Ross being Ross, and particularly in the mood that he's in, he's like, bring it on. So brawl number one for Ross uh, ends up happening in his parlor, three against one. Uh, despite the fact that it defies logic, he wins and the Karn family shuffles out of there. Purdy insists that Demelza is way more trouble than she's worth, and Demelza overhears this from her hiding place in the drinks cabinet. This leads to Demelza making the decision to leave Nampara. She decides to take Garrick with her, of course, but they don't make it very far before Ross finds them on the cliffs. It's on their ride home that they come across the crossroads, and who should happen to be there but Elizabeth. She has heard that Ross is leaving for London, so she makes an impassioned speech about how he should stay in Cornwall. And Ross is like, cool story, bro, but I was never really going to leave. Seriously. My uncle's mistaken. Then what are you doing? I lost sight of something. I came in search of it. Having found it, I'm going home. And Elizabeth watches Ross ride off into the sunset with Demelza. I'm not kidding, this is an actual scene. The final scene is Ross and Demelza riding past the ruins of Will Leisure. 
end of episode one. So time for general show discussion. Yeah, I know we spoke a little bit about this before, but what got you interested in the show and what were your expectations like going into this episode? Well, um, like I said on our very first podcast, which seems like an eternity ago now, um, Downton Abbey was the show that really got me interested in, uh, and hooked in everything drama. So when Downton Abbey was finished, I felt so deprived. <laughs> and so my expectation was that I needed this new, big, emotionally wrecking drama because I happen to like to suffer. So when I... <laughs> When I randomly stumbled across that new Paul Dark show on this very, very sunny day, I remember I was like home and I was like, oh, Paul Dark, well, let's watch this. And I was hooked, like immediately hooked. And I have not regretted it ever since. Yeah, well, I will watch any period drama. I will give them all a shot. And I'm really lucky because I live in the UK, which is like period drama heaven. And the BBC makes them constantly. So whenever I see a new advert, they have those little BBC drama previews. I'm like, ooh, I'll add that to my list and I will give that one a shot. And that's how I discovered Poldark. I just saw one of those little previews and it had Eleanor and I love her and I'd just seen her in a bunch of other period dramas. So it got upgraded to must watch territory. Well, you can add me to the list of the period drama hoes up in this joint. <laughs> um, I remember seeing a trailer for it at the end of an episode of Downton Abbey and thinking, oh, I should watch this. But then I completely forgot because you have to remember um, in the States, the show didn't air until the summer. So, you know, by the time summertime came, I really wasn't thinking too much about it. Uh, but thankfully, I have Masterpiece Classics set up to automatically record on my TiVo. So when I turn the set on uh, on Monday evening, which is when I usually watch my Sunday night shows, um, I saw I had episode one in my queue. So I started watching and I was all in from there. What about the pilot hooked you? Because for me personally, I know it was definitely Demelza. I think she's just a force to be reckoned with on the show. And as soon as she ran onto the screen I was just obsessed with her and I think that I loved her so much that I was willing to put up with some of the characters that I wasn't so enamoured with and through her I think I really grew to love the show. Yeah I was I was really blown away by the landscape of Cornwall. I, I don't think I'd ever seen it um, before like that. And I mean, it, it made me want to book a flight over there right away. Uh, the cinematography was incredible and the story, it's sweeping, it's epic. And I'm always a sucker for an underdog, which Ross plainly was in the pilot. Um, you know, coming home to nothing and having to rebuild his world with his bare hands. Uh, just completely compelling. And the acting uh, from all of the uh, the principal actors, the supporting actors, I thought was terrific. So it, it was meaty and I knew that it was going to be something that, that I would never forget. And uh, I personally, what hooked me about this pilot was... Um... Well, like you said, guys, the cinematography, the acting, the music, and uh, more generally, the atmosphere. Because uh, I thought it felt so singular 
um, when you compare it to the to the other shows that we are used to seeing on TV. So um, yeah, and of course the actors, the characters. Um, I too instantly fell in love with the Mel's. I was like, where have you been all my life? <laughs> and uh, can we be besties? <laughs> And um, so yeah, she she was so um, so amazing from um, uh, from her very first uh, scenes, and uh, she looked like the character that you get to meet uh, once in a generation. So, had you seen any of the principal cast in something before you watched Poldark? Um I'd seen Eleanor and the White Queen and Death Comes to Pemberley. Um, but believe it or not, I hadn't realized that I'd already seen Aiden. I mean, given how obsessed I am with him these days. Um, you know, <laughs> I saw all of the Hobbit films and loved them to pieces, and I always thought Keeley was really hot. Uh, but that was about it. Um, and then <laughs> once I saw episode one of Poldark, I binge-watched the rest of his catalog. Um, and I had also seen Ruby in Lark's Rise to Candleford, one of my very favorite uh, period dramas, and simply adored her on the spot. So I was thrilled to see her in the series. Uh, I had never seen uh, any of the uh, principal cast members, but uh, I had briefly uh, heard of Aiden Turner, because I happen to be a very <laughs> big fan of Russell Tovey, and uh, Ooh, both, played, uh, <laughs> both played um, in uh, Being Human. And uh, so, yeah, I think they were like besties, but one killed the other. I think it was like Russell who killed Aiden's character. And um, yeah, so apparently it was a big thing uh, back in the day. As for me, I had seen all of Eleanor's work because most of them are period dramas. And as I've stated, I'm a period drama slut, which means that I've seen, I'd seen it. Aiden in Desperate Romantics and I recognised Ruby instantly from her like 15 different roles in period dramas and I was super excited because you know, I love all of these characters and they're so great in these roles. Um, and what were your guys' first impressions of these characters like? Well, as much as I was struck by the appeal of the series uh, as a whole, I was, um, let's say it, I was scared that it would uh, mainly revolve around uh, a will-day-one-day vibe, um, especially with Ross and Elizabeth. I thought it was going to be uh, too much of a cliché for me to handle, and um, especially because I think, and this is just my personal opinion, but to me, their love, quote love, um, seems to me like the kind of distracting and destructive um, and consuming uh, love, but course I felt relieved when we were introduced to um, the amazing Demelza and uh, but I still enjoyed Ross as a character and uh, because I really enjoy how invested he was for the community uh, for his tenants and um, and how uh, full of principle he is like for instance when his uh, uncle Charles told him to um, to basically get rid of his uh, of his servants, the painters, but he refused to because they were his father's friends. And uh, of course, when he hired Demelza, even though he knew that he could not afford a kitchen maid, but uh, he still thought that it, she, it was the better choice rather than just letting her go back to uh, Legan, back to her brutal father. So, um, so yes. And uh, obviously, I also loved um, Demelza for how uh, sassy she was. Um, instantly and uh, how it was clear that she would be the one challenging Rosa in the long term. Okay, so this is 
really weird to look back on because I remember having a very visceral reaction to these characters, especially Ross and Elizabeth. Like, they made a terrible first impression on me. Like, by the time it got to the scene where Ross was begging Elizabeth to change her mind and run away with him, I was just like, she's married. This is stupid. I thought Ross was just ridiculous and really childish and stubborn and I actually preferred Elizabeth to Ross. I thought she could do better than him and I really wanted her to get over him and be with Francis because he hadn't done anything terrible at that point and he basically declared how much he loved her and I was like, why are you even hooked on Ross when you could have this good life with this nice man that loves you. It was really until Demelza that I really loved any of the characters because I was just spending so much time being mildly annoyed at Ross and Elizabeth and they were up a lot of the first half of the episode. And Demelza's introduction was when I started easing up on Ross a bit because I think through his kindness to her I started seeing his positive qualities but then he'd be in a scene with Elizabeth again and I'd be like, Ugh. Like, as an introduction, I thought it was quite bad because he was just quite broody and all he did was frown and, and drink and just complain constantly. And it was a real bummer to watch. Dude, he's heartbroken. I mean, you know, he comes back from war and he's just absolutely devastated with with bad news from every single corner of his universe. So, you know, I was, uh, you know, I give the man, I give him all kinds of, of permission to, to drink and brood and that kind of thing. You know, I was heartbroken for him. Um, I was underwhelmed by Elizabeth, to be honest. Um, besides the fact, um, or it, with exception of how beautiful she was, and I think that that uh, Haida, who is a, a, an exquisitely beautiful woman, was uh, well cast for this kind of... Um, unaccessible, uh, idealized uh, woman uh, that we see in... in, in it Definitely. Um, I felt sorry for Francis because I already knew what was coming and there would be no way for him to compete with Ross uh, for Elizabeth's affections. Um, um, I actually felt a little sorry for George at first because what? I think there was a part of him... I know, right? Um, I think there was a part of him that actually would have liked to have been friends with Ross. However, once George felt snubbed by Ross, uh, it was game on from there. And then when he said it would be his pleasure to take whatever Ross was able to make of himself, I was like, oh, hell no. You are an asshole, George Warlegan. Um, and Charles Poldark should have been roasted on a effing spit. I mean, yeah. I couldn't stand him from moment one. Manipulative bastard. Isn't it weird how things change? I mean, yeah. you felt sorry for George. I did. I did. I felt sorry for him because, you know, it seemed like he was trying to be buds. Um, you know, and at school, uh, he said that, you know, there were things about him that he admired. Um, but, uh, yeah, after after he felt snubbed, um then, you know, it was like, okay, I'm going to take all his toys. And I was like, dude, please, sit your ass down. 
Okay, so favourite scenes. I have to point out that the market scene is one of the most beautifully shot things I've ever seen and so detailed and probably really expensive. Like, no wonder they keep reusing the same shots in season two. Seriously, I mean, all, you know, all of the extras that they had on set for that day, um, all the set dressing that they had to do, uh, that was that was just amazing. Just amazing. Um, I think for me, uh, there's a moment when Ross is standing on the cliffs. Um, he's still in his uniform. He, you know, he's just gotten out of the, the um, coach after learning his father has died. And there are tears in his eyes as he's looking out at the, the ocean. And it just, it just slays me. That's the scene where he looks like Darth Vader, isn't it? <laughs> kind of. With that giant, that giant uh, cloak that he's wearing. Um, really, uh, I hated that thing. But yeah. That shot was beautiful, yeah. I also think that scene in the pub where Ross and Demelza size each other up is amazing. Just them saying their own names to each other is is incredible. Eleanor particularly is standing in that scene because just her physicality and her mannerisms are so different to who she becomes later on as Demelza. Yeah, I too loved um, the uh, the introduction of Ross and Demelza when they were introducing uh, each other um, at the pub and how... Um, this confrontational vibe foreshadows their future dynamic as a married couple. And um, also the uh, that ending scene between uh, Ross and Demelza, Elizabeth, when Ross says, uh, I lost sight of something, I came in search of it, having found it, I'm going home. I mean, duh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, next question. This is a doozy. Should have Elizabeth married Francis? <laughs> no, nope, nada. Um, and I know she was a woman trapped within the customs and traditions of her time, and that uh, to break off an engagement like that and uh, go to uh, be with someone like Ross uh, would have been incredibly scandalous for the community where she lived uh but honest to god once she made the decision to marry francis and you know as uh delanda said earlier francis gave her an out um she needed to move the fuck on and stop trying to drag ross back into her sphere but she couldn't uh not while there was another woman in his life who he claimed was the love of his life and in Elizabeth's eyes, uh, Demelza is an inferior woman. You know, she comes from, you know, a different class. She was a scullery maid. And uh, that's, she, she does not see Demelza as someone who could compete with someone like her. Um, you know, all those times when Francis was jeering at Elizabeth, how she wishes the baby were Ross's, how she on was only being kind to Demelza to impress Ross. Dude was dropping truth bombs all over her head. Um, you know, saying, yes, I know, I know you don't want me. Uh, the fact that she couldn't see her behavior, uh, made him feel like shit. And it just solidifies my thoughts about, uh, the character. Um, selfish, myopic, and capricious. Ouch. Hey. <laughs> but yeah, no, same, 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 same. That's where it is. That's where it is. 
Yeah, no, she definitely should not have married Francis, but hey, drama. And um, <clears throat> what irritates me the most about this is that, yeah, Francis gave her the opportunity to withdraw, to like, okay, well, just go back with him, it's okay. Because, yeah, deep down he knew that he was no match against Ross, at least in Elizabeth's eyes, because I think any of us would definitely take a Francis Poldark any time. Yep. And uh, so, yeah, the fact that she chose to um, to stay, to marry him, even after he gave her an out. And, um, yeah, because I don't think, I don't think Ross would have taken her back. I mean, he was pretty upset. And <laughs> even though he was like, you just should, you should leave him, leave him. He just said, leave him. He didn't say, like, go back, go back with me. Let's just run away in the sunset. But, yeah. Mm -hmm. And, um... So yeah, it uh, again it really shows how um, how little she uh, she cares about Francis, and um, it was sad because, like I said in an earlier podcast, I did not um, I was not such a fan of Francis' character um, up until season two. But uh, I think if I had read the 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 first two books, maybe uh, I would have uh, understood the the character better. And uh, yeah, so it really saddens me how Elizabeth was the um, part of the reason how uh, Francis became this uh, this self-destructive uh, man that we witnessed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think she shouldn't have married anyone. <laughs> she couldn't marry Roth, and she couldn't have married Francis, so just join a nunnery or something, I don't know. <laughs> Well, I think I think we said in in one of our previous podcasts that you know she needed to go spend a season in London, um, and learn that there are more men in in uh, Cornwall than yeah Ross, Francis, and George. Damn straight. Yeah, there are more men in the world. Yeah. Um, messages. Yeah. Yeah. We had several messages from you guys, and they weren't anything to do with season one. <laughs> But that's okay. That's okay. Yeah, you know, it, a lot of them uh, had to do with why Ross behaves as he does um, in series two. Um, one of the the folks had said that they uh, didn't think Ross really forgave Demelza for uh, Julia's death, um, as well as uh, her involvement in the the Carnmore Co Copper Company's um, uh, destruction. Um, but, uh, the season two, you know, was, was, uh, a bit challenging, uh, for that person. Another person said, um, you know, if Demelza was the love of Ross's life, how could he betray her as he did in season two? Um, after all she did for him in season two, you know, like climbing out of a window to warn him about the, the red coats, um, that type of thing. And then uh, another question um, asking about why Ross was colder towards Demelza than in season one. Um, you know, he was still in love with her after the trial, but then he starts looking at Elizabeth again at the harvest dance, um, knew that he had been uh, struck by the grief of his daughter, the debt, etc. But uh, the shift was hard for the, the viewer to, to understand. Um, and 
I know that we are of differing opinions on the matter of Ross's mental state here on the podcast. Um, but I think the speech that he gave at the end of episode 10 really summed it up. Uh, Elizabeth is part of this idealized um, concept versus Demelza, who is, you know, real uh, down to earth. Um, and, you know, much of Ross's downward spiral came from the realities that were stacking up um, its misery like so much cordwood, you know, grief over Julia, the mind failing, mounting debt only to be relieved by selling everything they'd worked so hard to build up for themselves um, and risking the news once again by smuggling um, a new child on the way so soon after losing Julia. And so he looked to Elizabeth as an escape from all of that. She represented an idealized time, a time where he was carefree and able to run around the cliffs chasing her. Um, I think much of this would have been headed off at the pass if Elizabeth had kept her damn mouth shut at that dinner party and not planted and watered, um, fertilizing that seed from the past that had been sitting dormant in his head. And then, when Francis died, he assumed the role of head of the Poldark family and felt obligated to care for his late cousin's family. And rightly so, because he was the head of the, of the family. But he went way too far so in doing, in, in doing so, uh, running away from the, the problems of home, the problems of reality. Um, and, uh, you know, we then have things spiraling out of control from there. Those are my thoughts on the matter. Do you guys have any thoughts? I mean, dude, that was basically everything. Yeah, I mean, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've given this a lot of thought, as you can tell. But yeah, so um, basically, yeah, um, basically, series one was the honeymoon, and uh, series two was the reality. And, um, yeah. yeah, there was still, like, um, unresolved issues, like Elizabeth, mm -hmm. uh, because, yeah, Elizabeth, mm -hmm. she was, uh, like, a fantasy, and um, mm -hmm. there was still, like, uh, this question uh, up in the air, like, uh, what if, what if um, we, uh, we had tried, to get, we had give it, given it a try, maybe uh, things could have worked, but, yeah, they needed that, uh, we needed that incident to happen to really see that Ross really does not love Elizabeth the way that he thought he did. So, mm -hmm. yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And we have one final question. Uh, yeah, from Anonymous. <clears throat> so, I'm reading the books and I look forward to your next podcast. Yay! Enjoy. I enjoy your insights and commentary. Keep it up. <laughs> My question, have you watched, and I hope I'm going to pronounce this well, for sight, Saga, I thought Somis. Somis. Somis, I think. Somis. Somis was a jerk, but I read some of the message boards on IMDb, and I was surprised by how many people. <laughs> and I was surprised by how many people were sympathetic for Somis. So I have no idea of what Foresight Saga is. So I'll let you guys maybe. <laughs> I'm I'm looking it up because I. I've never seen it. Foresight. Is this a period thing? Yeah. Oh, I've seen it. Yeah. Ah! Yay! Yay! <laughs> Admittedly, I don't know how much help I'll be because 
I watched this in 2002 when it first aired, and that's like 15 <laughs> years ago. Yeah, that's a long time ago. So I can't remember the specifics, but I do remember Damien Lewis's character, and he was a complete jerk, like really possessive, gross, and a rapist. Wow! Oh God! Maybe a murderer. Oh God! Man! Oh! Oh! I don't know if I want to watch it. <laughs> yeah, so I don't really understand why anybody would like him. He was terrible. But then again, like, the internet is filled with people who have country opinions to me. Yeah. yeah. So what are you going to do? Um, literally anybody who's a villain probably has fans out there somewhere. That's just the way the world mm-hmm. works. And you can find anybody on the internet willing to defend a hot bad guy and that was it for messages yeah wish we could have brought some insight with regards to the character but you know from from what you said rita um i i don't think i would even want to watch it yeah me too but yeah that's it yeah that's all we had um please remember to send us yeah send us send us more questions uh comments uh, and we'll be more than happy to, to cover them here on the podcast. Especially if they're about episode two. Yes. Yeah, we love questions. Okay, so now book club time, yay! Oh. So, we are very excited to introduce the Cold Art Podcast Book Club. Yay! <laughs> so... <laughs> So we will read through the two books that Tim Poldark have adapted for series three, The Black Moon and The Four Swans. So we will cover se- cover several chapters each week in order to complete the books in time just for the start of series three. So the paperback books are not available for purchase in the States, unfortunately, but they can be found through Amazon.co.uk and uh, the Book Depository, which is an amazing website, by the way. And um, ebook versions are also available on the Kindle and the uh, iBooks. But we know a lot of you want to be completely surprised by the events of Series 3, so we will provide a spoiler warning before the start of the discussion so that you know where to stop the podcast. We've got some questions for you to consider as you read through the chapters. You don't have to answer them all, but we'd love it if you can. So, um, question one, how did you read the chapters? Uh, paperback, ebook, or audiobook? Were you immediately drawn into the story, or did it take a while? New characters. Who was your favorite new character introduced to the Poldark Saga in Black Moon, book one, chapters one and five, one through five, and why? Uh, can you pick out a passage that strikes you as particularly profound or interesting? Uh, please share it and why you thought so. Uh, who in the book would you like to meet? What would you ask or say? And if you could insert yourself as a character in the book, what role would you play? Does the book remind you of your own life, an event, a person like a friend, family, boss, coworker? If you were able to talk to the author, what would you want to know? And based on what you've read so far, what scenes do you hope to see depicted in the screen adaptation for the 2017 series? Also, please let us know if the uh, pacing of the, the reading for each week is too much, too little, so that we can make adjustments as we go on. 
Now go to our blog at poldarkpodcast.tumblr.com, copy the questions and do one of two things. Tumblr participants, reblog the post with your answers. Twitter participants, send us a DM at poldarkpodcast. <laughs> and uh, we will summarize the discussion on the podcast that we post the week of January 29th. And if we can figure out a reasonable way to do this, we may have one of you join us for the discussion. Ooh. So more on that as we explore the tech a bit more because, yeah, the tech is uh, too much sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so go ahead and start reading The Black Moon, book one, chapters one through five, and we'll chat about it next week. That is it from us this week. Our next podcast will be covering episode 102 and the start of the book club. Yay! So feel free to message us with any questions you have, either via our Tumblr Ask box or tweet us at Poldark Podcast. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Come up to meet you, tell you I'm sorry.
back to the start.